0: Amen. Oh well, I'm excited to jump into the scriptures, and um, I'm going to guess we got a number of folks watching from Facebook Live this snowy morning as well. I think so. Um, it's good to be together, though. Like I said before, there's nothing like actually being physically present with one another, and I think that's uh, that's what the church is is the gathering of God's people physically. If you can't make it because you're snowed in, we get it. We're glad you can tune in, but. We're together to worship the Lord with one another, and we're continuing in our series on the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God with us. And today, I want us to sort of look at a big picture of why the Holy Spirit is with us. Uh, there's a lot of, of smaller, maybe more confusing questions about the Holy Spirit's presence. So, for example, tongues. What are speaking in tongues and prophecies and uh, these gifts of healing and all that stuff and we'll talk we're going to talk about those later on in the series Lord willing um, but that's not what we're going to look at today that's important I think for us to see the big picture. what is the big picture of the Holy Spirit's work and that is to equip us and strengthen us for the mission that God has given us Spirit a spirit empowered mission and uh, we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 1 verses 1 through 11. so you can open your Bibles there if you want or we'll have it on the screen. As well, there's an outline in your bulletin That's always helpful to follow along If you want to take notes, if you're a note taker Feel free to do that as well Uh, But we're going to look at the very beginning of the book of Acts Which really tells us this very thing What is the the mission of the church And really what we see is that Jesus gives us a job to do And actually he gives us a job that's really too big for any of us to do (laughs) Uh, It's it's a job that we can't do uh, on our own um, I've had a lot of jobs in my life. I bet you guys have had a lot of jobs. Most people, we could talk about it. I've, I remember, my, I think my first job was a paper route. Um, then I was a babysitter. Then I think my first sort of official job where I got a pay, you know, check and everything was uh, working at Dunkin' Donuts, making coffees. Then I worked at Papa Gino's. Then I worked in a nursing home. Like I think I got Florida mixed up there. Worked in a nursing home, kitchen. Uh, I was the pizza guy during college, making pizzas. Uh, And then I worked for U-Haul for a while. So I had all these different odd jobs. Janitor for a while uh, at school, and and so lots of odd jobs. None of them were really sort of uh, so difficult that I couldn't do them. Um, But there are, of course, jobs. If I had that job, I would fail at it because it's too big for me. Um, U-N translator for Arabic. I can't do that, all right? I would fail miserably It's too. I couldn't do it because I don't know any Arabic, right? Um, If I was a brain surgeon. That would be a job too big for me. I would kill whatever the, whoever the patient is, uh, with certainty. Because I don't know anything about brain surgery, or a professional skier. Uh, anyone watching the Olympics? I was watching the freestyle downhill uh, skiing last night, and it's incredible what these people can do, isn't it? I mean, multiple flips in the air, they're riding on the rails, and riding backwards, and they have this perfect landing, and I, if I tried to do that, I would just crash. I mean, I would not be able to do it. It's a job too big for me. Well, in many ways, the the job that we're given here is one that's too big for us. And it's intended to be too big for us. Because it's a job that we can't do without the help of the Holy Spirit. Look with me at Acts 1, 1 through 11. We read this. In the first book, this is Luke writing. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That we are witnesses, we're called to be witnesses to the world empowered by the Holy Spirit. As I said, there's a breakdown in your bulletin, but first, verses one through three, uh, Jesus has a job for his disciples. Uh, He has a job for his disciples, and that would include us, because we're his disciples as well. Uh, Luke, I said, is the author, he writes this, he says, in my first book, he's referring to a a previous book, Uh, that book is the Gospel according to Luke. Uh, That's the first book. So he writes and he tells us who he's writing to. Both actually Luke and the book of Acts are written to this Theophilus. Uh, Theophilus was likely an individual, a real individual, um, who uh, was a believer and some type of official. So Luke is trying to give an account of who Jesus was uh, to Theophilus so there could be sort of an official understanding of the Christian faith. Now ironically, or perhaps providentially, the name Theophilus means God-lover. Lover of God. So think of Philadelphia, uh, lover of your brothers, brother, city brother brotherly love, Theophilus, lover of, of Theos, lover of God. Now, like I said, I think this is a real individual, but isn't that neat how this is written to the lover of God? <laughs> Which hopefully, if you're reading and studying it, you are indeed uh, someone who loves the Lord. But he writes, he says, um, in this first book, he said, I dealt with all that Jesus began. Interested. Began Not had finished, but all that Jesus began to do and to teach his, his whole life. Uh, most of the gospel really covers Jesus' three-year ministry. It starts with his birth. Uh, talks a little bit about one event that happened when he was 12 years old. Uh, but then the majority of it, it deals with his three-year ministry from age 30 to 33 or so. Uh, up until, it says here, uh, he was taken up. Uh, he was ascended, as we believe, into heaven. Uh, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, so after the resurrection, before the ascension, there's a time period there where Jesus is appearing to his disciples. And what is he doing? He's saying he's given them commands through the Holy Spirit. Verse 3 During that time, he presented himself alive, clearly risen from the dead, alive to them after his suffering, meaning the cross, by many proofs. So Jesus proved that he was truly risen. Uh, He was not just spiritually risen or metaphorically risen from the dead or just ghostly in his appearance to people. Uh, The tomb was empty. The the same body that was laid in the tomb was risen. And Jesus proved it, as it says here, again and again by appearing to his disciples uh, over a 40-day period of time. And look what he says at the end of verse 3. And speaking about the kingdom of God. So what does Jesus do? during His last 40 days here on earth, after the resurrection, He uses that as a time to appear to His disciples, spend time with them, and teach them about the kingdom to prepare them for the job that He's going to give them. You know, when you think about it, friends, why are we here? Why are we even here? Uh, On earth, Uh, You could start from the very beginning and say, why do human beings even exist? Why were we created? What's the purpose of us? Uh, and you look back in Genesis and we get a clear answer, we're created uh, to honor and worship God, we're created to bear God's image, which is to reflect His moral nature with love for one another, and to worship God, to know Him, to have stewardship over His creation. Uh, we exist for God, we're created by Him and we, we're here for Him. Uh, but a little bit more narrow than that, why are we still here, I guess, is the question. Uh, we're sinners, we're, we're cut off from God, Jesus comes he redeems us from our sin by His death and resurrection. By faith in Him, we're saved. That's the gospel. But then, it's been 2,000 years, and we're still here. Um, and even my, me, myself, or you individually, you became a Christian, and you weren't immediately sort of zapped out of here into heaven. <laughs> You're still here. Why what, what the purpose of us still being here in this 2,000-year gap, which may continue on for however long it takes? And the reason is, because Jesus has given us a job to do. This work to be done. And he calls us to be about that business, about that work. Uh, He prepares his disciples for that work. And he says, okay, we're going to see this a little later on. You're called to be witnesses to the world. Get busy doing that job. You know, when you you think about it, friends, there's there's a reason why we're here. And the reason why we're here is not to make money. That's not why we're here. We're not here to get the car that we've always wanted. Uh, We're not here so that we can work towards retirement, retire at 65 and golf (laughs) until we die, or garden until we die. Not that there's anything wrong with golfing or gardening, uh, but that's not the purpose why we are here. There's a reason why God has left us here until Christ's return, and that is to reach the world with this message of the Gospel and it's a big world. <laughs> He's given us a really, really big world to live in. Uh, and it's gonna take a long time to accomplish this job. Uh, you know, it's amazing when you think about how big this world is, actually. Um, you ever go on Google Maps or Google Earth, and uh, if you haven't done this, do this. It's really worthwhile. And zero in on where, we li- where you live or the church or whatever you want, and then just begin to zoom out one step at a time. You know, you zoom out, there's the city of Havel. Zoom out. There's East coast of Massachusetts, zoom out, there's this New England, zoom out, you get sort of North America, zoom out, you get sort of the whole uh, Western Hemisphere, and then keep going, you can can spin the Earth on on Google Maps and see, these are real satellite images of the entire planet, you can actually keep zooming out until the Earth is just a little circle, planet, from satellite imagery. You begin to wonder, this place is huge, and it's filled with people. Uh, There's seven and a half billion people in the world now. Seven and a half billion. In 1960, there were four billion people. Oh, it was three three billion, sorry. Three billion people. We've grown more than double since 1960. And the world just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And Jesus is saying, I've given you a mission. I've given you a job to do. That's why you're still here. To see that the world hears this message of grace. I I remember I was um, flying over Iraq. So I really did fly over Iraq one time. About uh, four years ago. Actually, we flew right over Mosul. And right over Baghdad. So uh, not that I was too nervous about it But it was interesting to fly over Mosul During all, you know, all this hectic time there And uh, you could look out the window And you could see Obviously it's just desert beneath us uh, But you could see these little tiny villages uh, No bigger than like a football field Just little villages Just specks of them Within this huge desert Out there in Iraq and we're thinking What is it going to take To reach these people With the message of the gospel And when we're at that last section of of reaching people, you're you're trying to get to the ends of the earth, it's gonna take some sacrifice and some devotion and a lot of people working. We have a job to do. And Jesus says, I'm leaving you here for that very purpose, to be about this mission. Uh, Friends, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I I think, I wonder um, how many people are failing to do the job that Jesus has given. How many Christians are not doing the job He's given us to do. Uh, In the military, if you fail to do the job that you've been commissioned to do, uh, it's called dereliction of duty. And you can be court martialed and thrown into prison and perhaps dishonorably discharged from the military. It's a big deal to not do the job. And I'm just wondering how many Christians, if we had to actually know, you know, judge, would be guilty of a dereliction of duty when it comes to the job that he's commissioned us to do. Now, I'm not saying everybody should, should leave their current job, go to the mission field, or become a pastor, or mission, whatever. I mean, tying it into your daily lives. Uh, when you go about your job, are you being in a sort of a, a, a missionary there? Are you sharing the good news there? Are you about the work that he's called you to do? If you're a stay-at-home mom, are you raising your kids in a way that they're coming to know Jesus? And if you're talking to your, your neighbor, your extended family, are you, are you on mission doing this job that he's called us to do. Jesus has a job for us, for all of his disciples, and that includes us who believe in him. Look where he goes, though. Uh, This job is too big for us. So what does he do? He gives us help. (laughs) Because we need it. Verses 4 and 5. Look at verses 4 and 5. He says here, And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. So I looked into uh, the the Greek verb there for staying with them. Uh, It's kind of neat. He he actually didn't just sort of appear for an hour and then disappear. He stayed with them. He spent significant amounts of time with his disciples, talking to them and just being with them. Uh, But after staying with them for a while, he orders them to not leave Jerusalem. I remember they're not from Jerusalem. They're from Galilee, which is a different region of Israel. Uh, But he says, now I want you to stay right there in Jerusalem and I want you to wait. You're gonna wait there um, you know, waiting is hard work. I don 't know about you. Sometimes it's easier to do something than it is to actually just sit and wait. Uh, but it's an important lesson to learn to wait on God. Just sit there and wait for what? He calls it here, the promise of the Father, which you heard from me. So the promise is not the Father. The promise is not the son, right? Because you heard it from me, the Father promised. Him or uh, what is this promise? It is the Holy Spirit. You're waiting for God to show up in the person of His Holy Spirit, and he describes it. Verse five: John baptized with water, um, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, what is he referring to there? Why? How does the baptism connect to the Holy Spirit? Um, I was uh, watching. Jess and I were watching uh, a Jesus movie, Jesus of Nazareth. Anyone ever seen Jesus of Nazareth? Uh, it's it's got a lot of problems with it, but it's it's not it's not too bad. Uh, but there was a, this part where John the Baptist is, is baptizing people, and so people are flocking out to him, and, uh, which is pretty accurate. But then, when John baptized people, he, he grabs some water and he sprinkles it on their head. And I am no, <laughs> that's not what baptism is. The very word baptism means to be immersed. Uh, you would actually use it to refer to washing or dipping uh, dishes into water. It's to be fully immersed in something. That's what it means to baptize. When he talks about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, he's saying you'll be, in a sense, immersed with the very presence of God. John can only immerse you in, in water, H2O. You know, that's it. But Jesus' work is to immerse you in this very pres- the presence of God to come. He tells him there to wait. Wait upon the Lord. Why? Because you need help. Uh, this is a job too big for you. This is a job that you need to depend upon the Lord for. Uh, It's a job you can't do on your own. Uh, Like I said, there are some things that you just can't do on your own. Um, I went uh, did some rock climbing with my my buddy James yesterday. And I haven't been in a while. It's indoor rock climbing. Um, And uh, there's different levels of of climbs, if you haven't done this. It starts off with uh, uh, VB, which is basic. Um, you know, for the little kids. And then it gets up to, I think, a V10 or V12 or whatever it was, right? So um, in all the climbing, we spent a few hours there. Um, I was able to do VB. <laughs> I was able to do V0. And I was able to do 1V1. That's it. So I as high as I could get on this whole scale of up to 10 or 12 or whatever it went. Um, if I had to do a V10, it's not a matter of, of, of not being able to put the effort in. It's not a matter of the fact that I just don't have the willpower to do it. I could not do it. No matter, no matter how hard I tried, at that point, I could not do it. I mean, I could not crawl across the ceiling on, a, on rocks, you know, where you're just hanging on with the tip of your fingers and one foot, and you're sort of, you know, like a spider crawling across. I couldn't do it. Uh, now, now the, the illustration breaks down here, because if I spent years of practicing and training for it, I could maybe eventually do it. Uh, but... It's, it's not a matter of willpower for these disciples. The job is is something truly beyond them, so they need help. It's something they cannot do, no matter how hard they tried on their own. So God says, I'll give you my spirit. Wait for him. And when he comes, he will enable you to do what only he can enable you to do. You think about it, friends. It's a job too big for us because we can't do, we can't reach into somebody's heart we can't change somebody's life Uh, we can I mean first of all we need the Holy Spirit to give us boldness we need the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom to be winsome in the way we share about Christ we need the Holy Spirit to give us opportunities to do this to the, the level of relationships it takes with people to talk to them about the Lord but even then even if we could have all that on our own you can't change anyone's life you can only tell them Above the Lord He's the one who creates a love for the Lord in somebody's heart. He's the one who brings them to conviction. He's the one who encourages them. He's the one who brings life change. You can't do anything without him. We need him. We're dependent on him, friends, and it's important for us, I think, to recognize that dependence. to recognize that without him, this mission will never be accomplished. But then to recognize through prayer and trust That he can do what he's accomplished us to do Uh, That the day uh, is coming when the world will be reached Where every nation and every ethnicity on this planet Will hear this good news That his spirit, just like then, is still working today Uh, See, I think there's a lot here that you could say Well, that was for then uh, But this is now And things have really changed Uh, I would say there's there's a couple of things in which that's true So later on in chapter two, when we see the fulfillment of this at Pentecost, uh, the Holy Spirit appears to everyone in the form of a tongue of fire. That's why we have uh, the image of fire up here, because that's one image that the Holy Spirit uses to reveal His presence. So imagine they're all sitting, they're all praying, the twelve, the twelve apostles, and others who are all gathered with them. I think there's 120 or something in the room up there in the upper room. Uh, They're they're waiting and they're waiting, and all of a sudden uh, they sense this hot this gush of wind throughout the room. And these literally, they actually see uh, a tongue, something that looks like a tongue of fire, appear over everyone's head. Now, I want to guess that it didn't happen to you when you became a Christian. Uh, I've actually never talked to anyone who said that's how it happened to them. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe somebody could say, hey, yeah, that's exactly what I, I, I felt like. I saw something over my head when I became a Christian. I've never talked to anyone who that is the case. Uh, that being said, there is a sort of uniqueness to the beginning here, but it's the same Holy Spirit who's in us. When it comes to that, nothing has changed. We're His disciples, we need His presence to do the work that He's called us to do, and He's still with us. And we still can't do it without Him. Now there's not sort of two tiers of Christians. I think this is where some denominations go a little bit wrong. They say, well, it's sort of a basic level. You believe in Jesus, but you don't have the Holy Spirit, so you're just sort of a basic level Christian. And then later on, as you mature, then you receive the Holy Spirit, they call it the second blessing, or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then your life really begins to change. (laughs) No. In fact, the scripture says very specifically, without the spirit of Jesus, you cannot be a believer. Romans 8. Uh, Without the presence of God, you're, you're not a Christian. You can't do anything. I mean, without God's presence, you're not beginning to be transformed. You're not having a sense of who Jesus really is. You're not equipped to do the mission that he's called you to do. We're regularly dependent upon Him. It's a job too big for us, but it's a job He gives us help for, verses 6 and 7, until the time of Christ's return. Look at what He says in 6 and 7 that Jesus will come again in the Father's fixed time. So when they come together, so this is sort of the end of the 40 days, they ask Him, meaning the disciples, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And I like what John Calvin says, there are many problems with that sentence as there are words. Um, They have totally still, even at this point in time, misunderstood the mission of Jesus. Uh, They're still looking for a political victory for the nation of Israel to dominate and conquer the world. They they haven't understood, again, fully what Jesus intends to do to win the world to faith, to win people from every nation to faith in him, and that's because, again, the Holy Spirit hasn't yet come upon them. So they're still thinking in worldly or earthly terms. Verse 7, Jesus, nevertheless, sort of understands what they're getting at. Is this the end? They think, okay, the resurrection's come, 40 days, it's over. We're ready for it to end. And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. You don't need to know when the end is actually going to be here. Uh, you don't need to know the, the specific time. You just need to be about the work that He's called you to do. Um, you know, it's, sometimes it's interesting. I think it's really important for us to understand we don't know when Christ will return. And, and sometimes you'll have people who will guess. They'll say, I know when it is. You know, That was revealed to me in a special vision or special dream. That's going to be this year. That is a huge mistake. And not only are you doing something that brings embarrassment to the church and to Christianity... You're doing something that I think is actually, in a sense, blasphemous to God. Because what did Jesus say? Actually, strikingly, Jesus said in his own earthly ministry that he himself doesn't know the day. (laughs) That the angels in heaven, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son of Man nor Jesus himself know when this day is going to be, but only the Father in heaven. Now, I would assumedly say, now that Jesus is at the right hand, he knows the day. Uh, but at least in his earthly ministry, he's saying this is a day that's been kept hidden from everyone on earth and even the angels in heaven. Uh, don't guess at when this day will come. Uh, don't try to sort of figure it out. Sometimes you'll talk to Christians who will say, you know, I, Jesus said, I remember hearing from one person who said, Jesus said, nobody knows the day or the hour. But I know the year. <laughs> You've misunderstood. He's not speaking so literally. But even if you did take him absolutely literally, there, what does it say here? Nobody knows the times or the seasons. Nobody knows when he's coming back, and we're not meant to know when he's coming back. Here's here's what we do know. Uh, we know a couple of things actually about his return. Uh, they're pretty pretty uh, basic things. One, uh, Matthew twenty four says the gospel, the good news, must go to the ends of the earth, and when it does, then I will return. So that's the one thing we know, that the message of the Gospel needs to get to the ends of the earth, and then He'll return. And so until that happens, He's not coming back. Uh, We know that, it has to get to... Now what does it mean by the ends of the earth? I don't think He means that every single living human being will hear about Jesus. Uh, Because if that's the case, it's already too late. Many, many people have lived without, without hearing the name of Christ. And it certainly doesn't mean that every person will become a Christian on the planet. That's not what he's saying. Jesus said very clearly, uh, Wide is the road and large is the gate that leads to destruction. Many enter it, but small is the road and narrow is the gate that leads to life. Only a few find it. So, what does he mean? Uh, Well, the the Greek word there, ethne, uh, every ethne, we'll hear, means every people group, every tribe on earth, uh, every nation. Uh, Nation is probably too broad of a term. So, he's not saying every country. That's sort of our man made boundaries. But basically, the gospel will go to every place that there is on the planet. And one thing that's encouraging here, friends, is that we're actually not too far off from this. (laughs) I don't know how long it will take. It may take centuries, but we're not too far off from this. In the last century in particular, the gospel has gone out in ways that no one would have ever dreamed of for the thousand years before then with the modern mission movement, going into these places that no one has ever gone. It's beginning to spread. I don't know how long it will be, as we said, I'm not going to even guess, but that's the one thing he does say. The other thing he says is that uh, ethnic Israel will begin to receive their Messiah, Romans 9 through 11. Uh, When you start to see ethnic Israel beginning to receive their Messiah, uh, that's a good sign that things are probably coming to fruition. Uh, And here's the neat thing, we support Jewish missions in our church, right? So we're we're looking for that very thing to happen. We want to see the Jewish people come to know Jesus as their Savior, as the Messiah, as the Lord, as the one who gave his life for them to be reconciled to the Father. But beyond that, friends, the point is not when, but what. Uh, the point is not when will this day come. The point is what are we to be doing until this day arrives. And that we know for sure. Jesus said he comes like a thief. And if you know when a thief is coming, you don't worry about it until, you know, 10 minutes before he comes, and then you lock the door, call the police, or do whatever you do. Uh, No one knows the time in which he comes, so always be ready. Always be doing the work that he's set for us to do. And so here's the real question, friends. Are you doing the work that he's called you to do? Are you being faithful to be on mission as you wait for that day? And we have hope for that day. Even as we don't guess when that day is, there's a certain hope. In fact, this is part of, of the an essential part of the Christian faith. We know that this is a fixed time. That the Father has set this day and that nothing, nothing can change what He has fixed. There's no sort of higher source than God that says, I think I'm think going to actually push that date back this way or that. In His sovereignty, there is a time. And whether that day takes centuries or millennia or hours or days or weeks or whatever it is, it's coming, and our hope is in that glorious day of His return. But until that day comes, He's given us a job to do, and He calls us to be faithful to do it. In verses 8 through 11, He sort of spells out more clearly what this job is. So look at verses 8 through 11. Uh, Jesus says in verse 8, You, but uh, no one knows this day, the Father is fixed, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you As you wait for this time The Holy Spirit will come He will give you the power you need To do what you need to do Uh, And then you will be witnesses Uh, And then he sort of gives these concentric circles Of the spread of the gospel Uh, So if you don't know the geography This may not be clear to you But Jerusalem is a city It's the capital city The largest city in Israel It's where the disciples are waiting and praying So start right there Disciples And you're going to be witnesses In Jerusalem Right there in that city but then Judea, which is a region of Israel, so I think it's almost like a state in the United States, but uh, there's not too many states there. But in the larger region of Judea, you'll be witnesses. Then Samaria, now we're talking about the next country over. So beyond the borders of actual Israel, and the final circle in this concentric spread of, uh, circle is the ends of the earth, which of course has no limit on this planet, to the very end, <coughs> where every person, excuse me, every people group, we we'll hear about this good news. As they hear this message, verse nine, uh, they sit there and they're looking at Jesus, and He's lifted up from them into a cloud, <clears throat> out of their sight, and then He disappears. So Jesus bodily to show he, he, this is sort of the end of the forty days; it's not going to continue to to appear to them. He's taken up into heaven, and then He is gone. The disciples are so amazed, as I think any of us would be, that they sit there, verse ten, staring at heaven. Uh, for a long time uh, I don't know how long passed Maybe a good hour uh, Then two men show up With these robes Most likely angels uh, Interestingly enough when, when, someone, when the Bible describes something as Two men A man With no description beyond that Usually it refers to an angel So if he says, it, he says it's a man It's usually an angel Strangely enough But these two men appear In these white robes And they basically say uh, What are you guys doing Staring at heaven uh, It's time to get to work It's time to stop stargazing. Uh, He's going to come back in the same way bodily, which is part, again, of the hope of the Christian faith that Jesus will return bodily in time, even as he was taken from us. But nevertheless, he's saying, stop looking at heaven and get to work. And when I think about these concentric circles that he has here, these uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, uh, I think about how that applies to us. And there's sort of the direct application from this passage, and that is that we are part of the ends of the earth. Uh, So we're not in Jerusalem where it started. We're not in Judea where it went to next. We're certainly not in Samaria, and then we are uh, at the ends of the earth. So we're, in a sense, on the mission field, deep, deep, deep away from the center of this concentric circle. We're a mission outpost as we seek to reach the world for Jesus. And I think that's sort of the direct application. But there's sort of a principle that applies here as well. And that is just sort of start off where you are and then begin to broaden your witness. So for us, Jerusalem is right here, right now, the city of Haverhill. Uh, Are we, as Christians, reaching our own city? There are churches that are great at foreign missions and great at at being about global missions and terrible about reaching their own city, people around them. And we don't want to be that. How are we at reaching out to our own neighbors and friends coworkers, our extended family, sharing them, the, sharing the good news with them. And I know this is hard for a lot of people. It's hard for me, honestly. I'm not naturally somebody who will start up a conversation with a complete stranger. Um, I, I know people like that. I, I admire people like that. Um, uh, Mitch Foreman is like that, Keena's Kena, husband. Uh, Mitch will talk to anybody, anywhere, he could be out any place, and he'll just strike up a conversation and within about 30 seconds he'll be talking about the gospel. I don't know how he does it. It's just part of his very nature. He can do that. Uh, that does not come naturally to me uh, at all. Uh, but here's what I've learned. That you just ask good questions. Um, what, you know, what do you think about this? Do you, go to, do you go to church? How long have you been in, in Haverhill? And do you know where you know, First Baptist is? That's where I go to church. Um, what do you think about the Lord? What do you, what do you think about the what we believe and maybe compared to what other, other religions believe or what you know, Roman Catholicism teaches to you. What do you think about those differences? And, and let them answer. And then if, if somebody is sort of resistant and you can tell uh, they don't want to talk about this, let it go. We're not, we're not called to be bullies. We're not called to force it down anybody's throat. In fact, there's a biblical principle in scripture that says not to do that. If you face that sort of resistance or mocking, let it go. Let it go and move on. Uh, pray for the Holy Spirit's wisdom and sense what He's doing and where He's leading. And then if there's sort of an interest there, uh, begin to share. Yeah. If you sense that somebody wants to hear about this. Uh, certainly you've had conversations with people uh, where they're very interested. There's a guy uh, standing in front of our church building one day just sort of staring at the building. You know, and it's, it's a nice beautiful building so that wasn't too shocking. But I decided to go talk to him. And uh, just sort of brought up some conversations, and before you know it, yeah, he's very interested in talking. He wasn't resistant at all. Uh, so we had a good conversation. He brought up his objections to Christianity, which were some, some really good ones, um, and really issues with the way the church has acted in the past and all these type of things, not our church, but Christianity, and um, we had a long conversation. He was very open didn't come to faith in Christ right there and then, but you could sense there was an openness and perhaps uh, the sp- spirit was at work there. Are we reaching our Jerusalem? we Are reaching our hometown and our home city? And really, friends, it's important. If we're not, then I think as a church, it's time to reassess what we do and why we're here. Because that's at the center of what we're called to do. If we're not doing the very job that he gives us to do, then we need to reassess what we're doing and how we're doing it and think about a better way to accomplish it. Then there's the Judea, there's a expands from there, what is our influence here in this region, uh, beyond Havel, uh, beyond perhaps even uh, Massachusetts and New England, are we impacting this region? If you, don't, if you haven't heard, this is the least churched, least Christian, at least by those who would confess Christianity, a part of the United States. <laughs> more so than California, more so than New York, this is the least Christian part of the United States that we live in. Are we impacting our city right here, around us? Uh, the next step beyond that, Samaria, so going beyond that uh, to other nations. Uh, sometimes those other nations are coming to us, and the opportunity is right there. You don't even have to go anywhere to be a missionary to other nations because the United States is the melting pot where we meet people from all over the world. And then finally, to the ends of the earth, are we about the work of global missions as we should be? Are we supporting missionaries? Are we praying for missionaries? Are we going to the mission field? Are we looking beyond ourselves and doing what he calls us to do? Friends, we're called to be witnesses to the world until his return. My question for us then is, are we doing our job? Are we doing our job? Uh, I'm a Patriots fan, so anyone that hates the Patriots, sorry, one last illustration. Super Bowl's over, so you're not gonna get too many more of these anyway. But Bill Belichick's big thing as a coach is what? Do your job. (laughs) Not everybody can do everybody else's job, but you can do your job. If you're the quarterback, be the quarterback. If you're a defensive lineman, stop them from scoring. If you're a kicker, make that field goal. Everybody do your job. Now we work together as a team, but everybody does your job. And if everybody does their job, the team is successful. If you fail at your job, He'll probably be quickly replaced for the Patriots, but the idea is the team will suffer uh, for your lack of doing your job. I think, friends, when it comes to uh, the local church, uh, this is what he calls us to do. Do your job. What is God calling you to do? What part of this mission is he asking you to play? He's asking you to be part of it, no doubt about it. Uh, nobody's left out of, the, of, this, of this calling, uh, but what specifically is he calling you to do? Don't don't feel any obligation to do any more than that. Don't feel guilty that you're not in Nepal or in Saudi Arabia or something like that if that's not what he's called you to do. Just be faithful with the job he's called you to do. And I think, friends, if the church, not just us, but the church globally does its job, perhaps, friends, this day won't be as far as we might imagine, the day in which we will be with our Savior and see him and be in his presence forward to that day and let's always keep that hope before our eyes. Would you pray with me? Well, our, our gracious Father in Heaven, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that you have saved us through the death and resurrection of your Son, the Lord Jesus, who gave us many proofs, as it says in Scripture, of your resurrection and our hope is in that resurrection which is to come, you as the first fruits, and all those to follow. We thank you, Lord, that this saving grace comes to us of no work of our own, but of your mercy, that we're loved in Jesus, we're cared for in Jesus, we're yours in Jesus, and that nothing, nothing in this life, nor the present, nor the future, nor angels, nor demons, nor sickness, nor anything in all creation would separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. That we're yours forever. But that you have given us a job. And again, Lord, this is a job that is good to do. In fact, we find our greatest joy, perhaps, in doing this work. We were created for this very work. We were recreated. We were born and we were born again for this work. To be faithfully in your service. So help us, Lord, as we search and seek prayerfully, what is the job, what is the calling that you have given us? And then trusting your Holy Spirit to do the work of equipping and strengthening and boldness and wisdom to go about this work. Thank you for this mission. Thank you for trusting us with something so great. But thank you so much that you also are present with us as we go about this job. Lord Jesus, we do look forward to your return. Even as perhaps the world looks at us like we're crazy to hope in something like this, we know that in the same way in which he was taken, he will return. And our hope is that we will be with you, not only on that day, but for all eternity for those in Jesus. Thank you, Father. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Would you stand with me as we close the service for this night? Amen.